Uh, if you've been here the last two Sunday mornings, uh, you would know that we have been speaking about God's vision for our lives. And we've been talking about how God has a blueprint. Like when you decide to build a house, you don't just start putting bricks on top of each other uh, and hoping that it'll turn out okay. Um, you, you actually have a plan that you sit down and architects develop and you, you come down to a specific purpose for every room in the house and a specific flow and, uh, and, and a way that things are going to function. And what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is how God has a blueprint like that for our lives, for your life. For us as a church, as a community, he has a blueprint. He has an idea. Um, and when God formed you, before he even formed you physically, before you were even physically around, he had a specific purpose for your life. He knew your unformed substance, the Bible says. He says to Jeremiah, before you were formed, I knew you and I consecrated you and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I've consecrated you and I've appointed you before you were even born. This is what God does in his, in his omniscience. He knows he has a plan, and we looked at how our lives fit into this great uh, plan that he has, this great context of redemption and, and what he wants to do in and through our lives. And it's so amazing that we get to go and find that vision that God has for our lives. We are not wanderers who are wandering through life trying to find ourselves. Now, there is an element where we do discover our identity and our specific calling and giftings, etc. But we're not people who are lost. We're not people who, who are, are random in creation and just wander around the earth trying to make some sense of it all. God has given us a plan for our lives. He has that plan in His hands. And we get to discover it, we get to walk in it, we get to fulfill it, we get to finish our race, we get to do every single thing that God has called us to do. God has a vision for your life and He has a vision for our church. As Anchor Joburg, God knew all these things before even one of us had this idea to come together. God already knew that we would be together here on a Sunday morning and He had plans for us. The Bible says God had planned for us beforehand good works for us to walk in. Some good stuff He wanted us to do. That's why he reached into your life and grabbed a hold of you because he has some stuff that he has prepared for you to do. We see this with Paul on the journey to Damascus. He's traveling. He's going to go beat up some Christians. He's going to throw some guys into jail. He's going to, he's going to beat some people up, and he is on his way, and he is breathing threats. Uh, you know, the Bible says uh, through his teeth, he's breathing threats, and, and, uh, and he's walking through the streets, and he's like, I'm going to find these Christians. I'm going to beat them up. I'm going to throw them in prison. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put an end to this whole Christianity thing. And while he's doing that, bam, Jesus meets him on the road. And, uh, and all of a sudden, he, he's blinded. He can't see anything. He goes into a specific house, and, and, uh, and God calls a guy called Ananias, which means grace, to go into that house, to lay hands on him. And as he lays hands on him, Paul begins to see. And, and, and God says to Ananias, don't worry about this guy, what you've heard of him and, and, and what he's done and how scary he is, because I'm going to show him the things I've called him to do. God reached into his life with purpose, with, with meaning, and he had a plan. He had a blueprint for Paul's life. And we're so grateful for what God did through Paul because uh, Paul, God used Paul to write much of the New Testament that we, uh, that we go through and that we read and that teaches us so much about Jesus. So, so God has this, and in life, we have certain ideas about ourselves and things that we would like to do and, and certain perceptions about Christianity and, and how our lives are going to go. And almost always, it never goes the way that we think we're gonna go. it's going to go. 
And I, I used to think being, when I was younger that as long as I stay close, stay close to Jesus, he wouldn't have to allow me to go through difficult things because I'd be learning the stuff that he would have had to teach me through the difficult things without going through the difficult things. So then I, I wouldn't have to go through them, right? So like, please, Jesus, just don't let bad stuff happen to me. I'll learn. I'll learn. I'll be a good student. You know, I'll, but you know what? There's something that God does in our lives when we experience difficulty, hardship, struggle, delay, disappointment, you know what he does? He makes us go back to the blueprint. He brings us back to, hey, you've, you're running after those things, but I want you to see how I created you, the purpose I created you for, the love I have for you, the plan I have for you. And when you see the whole blueprint and you see the bigger picture, we're able to find rest in that. We're able to find rest in what Jesus has done for us and how present he is for us. Can everybody um, hear me here this morning? just want to make sure that our audio levels are okay. At the back, are you, is anybody struggling to hear me? Hands up if you're struggling to hear me. Nobody? All right, good. So uh, I said we were going to go to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter number 25 um, this morning. Genesis ch- chapter number 25. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about our inheritance, our inheritance, the inheritance that we have uh, in Christ, our inheritance. I'm going to read from Genesis 25 and verse 29. I'm going to read through to verse 34. And we know the story here. Uh, There are are two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. And uh, and Jacob is this this kind of more domesticated guy. Uh, He just, the Bible says he dwelt in tents. That's such a like, he doesn't like the outdoors much, right? He doesn't need sunscreen because he doesn't go into the sun. He's all kind of pasty white, like cooking. He's like in cooking. He's watching cooking shows. He's right, like creating recipes. He's painting in the afternoon. You know, he's having tea with his mom. That's kind of, that's kind of uh, Jacob's whole deal. And then Esau is just this rugged, hairy, uh, you know, just a beast of a guy who's out in the field hunting. And and, uh, and and just doing guy stuff, right? He's he's like the bear grills of the Old Testament. It's just like biting snakes' heads off and and doing crazy stuff. And um, and so you've got Jacob and Esau and their brothers. And, and Esau is the is the eldest, and he has the birthright. The inheritance is his. And it says in verse twenty nine: Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau. Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. He'd obviously been running around, hunting, doing all the man stuff. He comes home, and, and, and he is just hungry. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever had that, where you just, you just, you've done some, maybe some sports or some activity. You've gone hiking, and you would literally, like, the rocks begin to look edible. I mean, things around you, just like, I wonder if I can eat that plant, or I wonder if I can catch that squirrel that just ran past me. Because you get so exhausted and so hungry, your body's literally just crying out for calories. And uh, this is what happens to, uh, to Esau. He comes home, it says, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. <laughs> this guy's such an opportunist. Your brother asks you for some stew, and he's like, it's going to cost you, buddy. This is so how siblings normally work. It's like, well, sell me something, and then I'll give you some of the stew. And Esau must have been super hungry because he said, I'm about to die of hunger. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So he sells 
his birthright as the eldest son for some stew and some bread, some lentil stew and some bread. The guy must have been really, really hungry. Um, I also just want to read from Ephesians 1 and verse 11 this morning. Um, I'm just going to jump over to Ephesians 1 and verse 11. We're going to talk about our inheritance. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In Jesus we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has a purpose, he has a will, he has something that he wants to do on this earth. We looked at that, he has a plan for redemption, and therefore he predestined us according to that purpose. He has something that he wants to do, and he has called us to be here in order to accomplish that. So we have obtained an inheritance in being able to walk in the things that God has called us to walk in, and we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, but I'm just going to go ahead and pray right now, and, and then we'll discuss these scriptures together. Let's just pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning for our inheritance. We thank you, Jesus, that we are called according to your purpose, and that you're working our lives together, Father, and all things in our lives together according to the counsel of your will, according to the plan that you have, according to your plan for redemption. We thank you this morning that we get to be a part of it, that we get to live it out, that we get to, uh, Father, expand and, and, and push forward and take territory and take ground and, and do all the things that you've called us to do, Jesus. We, we take it by faith this morning, Jesus, and we believe in what you have done for us on the cross. We just humble ourselves at your word this morning, Lord God. We don't allow our faults or our failures or our imperfections or our shortcomings or, our, or whatever else there may be, the mistakes that we have made, Lord God, to keep us from the blueprint that you have for our lives. But Lord, we humble ourselves and we say, Jesus, here I am. Do with my life, do with our lives what you will. And we thank you for that. Speak this morning, Lord. Speak by your spirit to every one of our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you about this inheritance that we have this morning. This inheritance that we have uh, in Christ. And in, an inheritance is something that you are an heir to. Something that you are able to inherit uh, from uh, somebody who has gone before you. From a predecessor. And it's normally something that you receive when the previous holder dies. You pass on an inheritance to your children. If you have a will and you, you fill out in your will and, 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 and in your will you write down, you say, if I pass away, everything that I have goes to my children or everything that I have goes to this person or to, to whatever it may be, however your will is set up. And this is an inheritance. It's something that you don't work for. It's something that you don't earn. It's something that you, that you don't achieve. You don't achieve an inheritance, right? The word used in the story of, of Jacob and Esau is birthright. It's something that you have a right to simply through your birth. And in Christ, the Bible tells us that his testament came into effect. His final will and testament, like, like somebody's will and testament would come into effect if they passed away. That when Jesus died on the cross, his will and his testament came into effect in our lives. And everything that belonged to Jesus, we inherit. It becomes ours. 
it becomes ours. And, and, and it's a birthright when we are born again in Christ. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we achieve. But it becomes ours through the fact that by God's grace, we have become God's children. And so everything that God had planned for us and prepared for us that we couldn't receive of our own, we have received through this inheritance. So it can be receiving something when a previous holder dies. It can also be a characteristic or a trait from a parent. If you think about, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you look at somebody's kids and you see that they kind of look similar or they have the similar temperament or similar characteristics and you say, oh, they definitely inherited that from their dad. You know, like when, when, when my boys are good, everybody says, well, oh, they, they must be their mother's child. But when they're naughty, they're like, oh, you must be your father's child. Like you, you got that from your dad. You, you know, you, we can just see how, you've, how you, you are your, your father's child. Has anybody ever said that to you? If they know your parents and they just see how you, you're like, oh yeah, you're your father's child. We can just see, you know. My wife says that to my boy Eli all of the time. You know, he's so intense and, and such a strong will and he just wants this thing or he just wants that thing and she'll just look at him and go, you're basically your father. You're a small version of your father. And that's basically what parenting is. It's arguing with a smaller version of yourself, right? That's kind of what parenting is. You're trying to teach the smaller version of yourself uh, not to do the same things that you did when you were younger. So it's inheriting a characteristic or a trait. And then it's also a position, a title, a situation that you receive. You can inherit uh, things from your parents. Uh, uh, perhaps some people have inherited a company or uh, a position of influence. Or sometimes it can be negative where you inherit some debt that got passed on to you. But you inherit, so you inherit uh, wealth, you can inherit traits, and you can inherit a position through an inheritance. And the moment Jesus died, we received our inheritance. We're still waiting to receive the fullness of it in heaven, but there are certain things that we have already today. They are already ours. We don't have to work for them. These are things that are more than what we deserve, and they are instantly ours the moment our faith is in Christ. The moment we're born into the family of God, we have this inheritance. I want to ask you the question this morning, how differently would we live our lives if we knew how rich the inheritance was that is already ours? How would we live differently What kind of risks would we take? What kind of things would we do if we knew that no matter what happens, we win because we have an inheritance. It's already ours. We cannot lose it. It's kind of like if you were working in the job that you're working now. Imagine if somebody came to you and said to you, you didn't know this guy, but you actually had a, an uncle, and he was actually a, a multi-billionaire, and uh, so, for some reason, uh, he included you on his will, and you are now a multi-millionaire because of your uncle that's passed away, and he's left all of this money. It's already in your bank account. It's already yours. Um, you know, all you have to do is sign on the dotted line, and all of a sudden, you go from being a guy or, or, or a woman or somebody that is, is going month by month by month, just trying to get through the month. You're saving up. Uh, for a little holiday or, you know, to be able to go to the beach in December or something like that, and you're just working so hard, and all of a sudden somebody tells you, hey, guess what? You've just inherited millions, more money than you'd be able to spend in your lifetime. How would that change the way that you live? 
if you knew that you had an inheritance? What kind of dreams would you pursue? What kind of things would you do? And so what we realize is that we have an inheritance in Christ. And when we realize it, when we realize the fullness of it, how does that change the way we live? What if we found out, as the scripture teaches us, that God has made us an heir to the throne with God? An heir to the throne with God. Just think about that for a moment, because I know that it's just like words sometimes. Just think about this for a moment. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are an heir of everything that God has, the creator of heaven and earth, that we are an heir. Romans 8 verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. If you are a child of God, then you have automatically become an heir to everything God has. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, if we just remain faithful to what God has placed in our lives, to what God as Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are heirs to the throne with Christ. We receive eternal life. I'm going to talk a little bit about what does this inheritance look like? What is the inheritance that we get from Jesus? Well, the first thing that we get is we get salvation. We get saved. We get taken off of a journey where we are on our way to destruction, on our way to judgment, on our way to paying for our own sins and and, and having to, to stand under condemnation for eternity, that's our journey, that's our path. The, 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 the road or the path of the, of the wicked, the Bible said, leads to destruction. And that is the journey that we're all on without Christ, with no inheritance. Somebody who loses everything at the end of the game, at the end of the story. But God takes us, He reaches into our lives and He takes us off of that destructive path and He gives us a new life. And that life that he gives us is a God life. It's not a life that ends after 80 years or 90 years. It's a life that is eternal. Heaven becomes our home. We receive a new home as a part of our inheritance. This would be like a little boy growing up in a township and all of a sudden being adopted and moving into some mansion and say, this is your new home. You, you, you were begging for bread on the streets. You had nothing. You were never going to have a future. There was, there was nothing that you could hold out for. But now you've been adopted and you've been moved into a brand new home. And it's eternal. It's yours. You cannot lose it. The forgiveness of our sins is an inheritance that we have been justified. That God justifies us for from the sins that we have committed. We can just go back on that scripture, just go back to the slide, I'll get to that scripture just now. Uh, So, the important thing that I want you to know this morning is that an inheritance is again uh, something that comes via birth and not something that you work for. You don't work for an inheritance. It's not the guy who works the hardest gets the biggest inheritance. It's the guy who is the child of the father 
who has the greatest inheritance to give. And we have the Father, the Almighty Father, with the greatest inheritance that becomes ours simply through our birth. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you work for. It's something that comes by the grace of God. We also receive as an inheritance characteristics. The Bible speaks about how God is working in our hearts through the Spirit and is transforming us from glory to glory into the image of His Son. That whole process of sanctification and becoming something that we could never be in our own strength, it's a part of our inheritance. If you're struggling to change in certain areas of your life, you need to start believing in the inheritance that you have. Because your inheritance says that you have a father that is going to produce change in your life even when you resist it. That's part of our inheritance. That every day we're changing. Every day we're changing. Every day we're becoming more like Jesus, more like Jesus, more like Jesus. And we inherit characteristics from our father that wouldn't have been ours. So we are selfish people by nature, but because God is our God and he is our father and we have an inheritance, all of a sudden we become generous. We might, be, we might be people who, who are living for ourselves all of the time and who, who uh, struggle to forgive and we, we're bitter and we're hard and, and all of a sudden God softens our heart and He makes us, he makes us forgiving, He makes us compassionate, he, he changes us, He gives us the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that we can have joy and compassion and love and, and peace and kindness and, and even things like self-control come as God is, is bringing His character into our lives. And then we also receive a position. So we receive wealth, the wealth of eternity, the wealth of eternal life, the wealth of all of heaven, the wealth of every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That's our inheritance. We receive characteristics, the characteristics of God, the characteristics of Jesus, and we receive a position. And the position that we receive is that we are made right with God. We are made right with God. We are heirs all of a sudden with Christ in heavenly places. We're seated with him, the Bible says. We sit with Jesus in heaven. This is our home. This is, our, this is where, where our, our foundation is. We inherit justification and a relationship with the Father and a calling. God puts you in the calling that he has for you, that he predestined you for, like we saw in that scripture earlier. It's part of your inheritance. When you came to Jesus, you didn't just receive the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus didn't only save you from some things. More than that, he saved you to some things. You're not just saved from, but you're saved to. He's not just leading you out, he's leading you into. Right? So he can bring you out of Egypt like he did with Israel. That's just step one. The real miracle is the promised land he wants to take you into the great things that God has planned and prepared for you to walk in. And you cannot take these things away. You cannot take these things away. You cannot nullify it in your own life. No matter how stupid or how foolish they, you may be and may act, they do not fade. They do not wither. They do not, you know, the Bible says this. It says the calling of God, the gifts and the calling of God, the Bible says, are without repentance. 
which means that even if you started losing your way, God would not remove his calling from your life. He would not remove the gifts he's given to you from your life. How incredibly gracious is that? Some people feel like if, if I don't, if I don't uh, use every single thing that God has given me, that I'm going to lose my calling. Or some people have already begun to believe that because I failed in this area, or because I made a mistake there, I've lost my calling. I've lost my gifting. I've lost the plan and the purpose that God had for my life. And the truth is you haven't because you cannot. God, those things the Bible says are irrevocable. No one can revoke them. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, we didn't deserve any of it. It's just according to his mercy. He has caused us to be born again. There it is. We're born, birthright. We're born to a living hope. You see, we're born into something through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. To, here it is, to an inheritance. We're born through Jesus, through his grace, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that last verse again. You have been born to an inheritance that is imperishable. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't perish. It's undefiled. It cannot be tainted. It cannot be changed. And it is unfading. It is as bright and as powerful as the day you were born. It's kept in heaven for you. The blueprint that God has for your life. The calling that God has for your life. It's kept in heaven. This would be like keeping a blueprint in a safe somewhere, but the greatest safe that you've ever seen. That even the oaks from Ocean's Eleven could never break into this thing. Nobody can, nobody with all their little gadgets and little computer thing, nobody can because it's kept in heaven for you. This is not an earthly thing where thieves can break in and steal it or people can rip it up or people can destroy it or people can disqualify you from it. The plan that God has for you is imperishable. It's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven just for you. It's not going to be taken away. It's yours. We just need to to read the plan and and start walking in it. Take it by faith this morning that God has a plan for your life. And you might be sitting here going, sure, some of those guys that have been coming to church for a long time, or sure, some of those guys that are better Christians, or some of those guys that have actually read the Bible, I haven't done any of those things. So yeah, I'm not sure if that applies to me. It does. There is not a single person excluded from this this morning that God, by His mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Every single one of you this morning, whether you want to resist it, even if you're resisting it this morning, sometimes when, sometimes when I'm speaking, I, feel, I can feel some people just going, oh, I want to I fight you on those words, right? Like people just wrestle with words sometimes because I wish I could believe that, but yeah, it sounds great, but not for me. No matter how much you wrestle, the truth is that inheritance is yours. It's yours. My son Jude is uh, vocal as always this morning, always delivering his contribution. An imperishable inheritance. This is yours. This is ours. How differently would we live our lives if we knew that we had this? How would it change the way we go about our everyday lives? Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. 
And he goes, I want you to know the great power that is at work within you. He goes, I want, I, I'm praying that you would understand the glorious riches of the inheritance that we have in the saints. The glorious riches of the inheritance. I want you to know what you have. I want you to know what is yours, and I want you to walk in it. The devil cannot take away. So I want to, just the few minutes that we have left this morning, talk about what the devil does with our inheritance or how he makes us think about our inheritance. Because one thing he cannot do is he cannot take your inheritance away. But the best thing that he can do, the second best thing for him, other than taking your inheritance away, would get you so wrapped up in the cares of this world and in the ambitions and the greeds and the insecurities and the, and the distractions of this life that you become doubtful over what you have. He cannot take away what you have, but he can make you doubt whether you actually have it. As much as God has a vision for our lives, the devil has a counter vision. And that counter vision is to contain you is to, to build a wall around you and to make you believe that you'll never be able to break through and do the things that God's called you to do. Because he cannot take it away. Yesterday, the Springboks played against the All Blacks. As we know, I said I wouldn't talk about this. I'm not going to talk about it a lot because I don't want to cry this morning. But everybody was talking about Julian Savia. This great, he's a great player. They call him the bus. Because he just runs over people. I don't know if buses run over people. I'm sure they do sometimes. But, but he just runs over people. It's just so difficult to stop. And we saw him play against France last week. And he was just bashing guys. Just one after the other. It looked like Jonah Lomu in, back in 1995. Just running over people. And they were saying, this guy, he's, just, he's unstoppable. And everybody was talking about how are the Springboks going to stop this guy called Julian Sevilla. If you watched the game yesterday, I think Julian touched the ball twice. Now, the Springboks didn't manage, they didn't take all of a sudden Julian's abilities away from him. He's still the bus. He can still run over people. He can still, uh, you know, he still has a great talent. But what they did is they set up their defense in such a way that he never got the opportunity or the space to actually live out his ability. He didn't get the space to run with the ball. Every time he got it, there were three or four different guys on top of him, and he just couldn't make any room. And that's what the devil does with our lives. He cannot take away the gifts that God has given you and the calling that God has given you, but he will try and surround you with so many distractions and so many defenders and so many, so many things that are going to hold on to you and going to wrap you up that you never feel like you have the freedom to run with what God has given you. That's how he works. He contains, he manages and the battle for us is often in our minds. How you think about yourself. How you think about your life. How you think about your inheritance. He tries to nullify us. He wants to get us to a place where he can ask us to trade in our inheritance for some earthly desires. Like Esau with Jacob. I've got a great birthright. I've got a great inheritance. But man, I'm so hungry right now. What use is this great inheritance if I'm just, I'm going to die right now from hunger? And he wants us to swap eternal things for temporal things. Things that have eternal weight and value for what can I get out of my life right now? 
What can I consume right now? What can I eat right now that's going to just make me feel better about myself? And that is the great distraction. That's the great defender. That's the Brian Habana coming to Julian Sevilla. It's the, it's the I am going to stop you by putting in front of your face, how hungry are you right now? How amazing would some lentil stew and some bread be right now? And you forget the great things that God has called you to. We forget the great uh, uh, calling on our lives because the devil puts in front of us the smell of temporal fulfillment. Just earthly stuff. Oh, I can, I can make some money. Oh, I can, I can have more of that. Oh, I can experience this. Oh, I can go and do that. And we make a trade. We make a swap without realizing it. We begin to give up on some of the great things that God has called us to. We're tempted to sell our inheritance. We allow the desires of the present to rob us of God's vision for our future. To trade in that blueprint and to, and to not complete what God wants to do in our life. Your inheritance for some stew. The Bible in the New Testament speaks about people who don't know God and it says this, it says their belly is their God. Their belly is their God. What do I just desire right now? That's what I want. That's what I worship. That's what I serve. That's what I work for. To fill my own belly, my own desires. Because we lose sight of the eternal and what God has for us. And it says that at the end of that story there with Esau and Jacob, it says, it says that Esau began to despise his birthright. Despise it. For some of us, that's happened. So many disappointments, so many hurts, uh, so many temporal things that we just feel that we need right now that when we think about this calling that God has for us, we feel so unworthy of it that we begin to despise it. I don't even want that birthright anymore. I don't even want to walk in the things that God has for me. I don't even want to stay faithful. I don't even want to try and accomplish these things. I, I've begun to despise my birthright because we've made a trade somewhere along the line. It happens to us all the time. We begin trading the calling of God that God has for our lives for what we want now, for what we can get now. And we sell ourselves short. I was reading a, a book this week by a guy called Levi, Levi Lasko. And uh, he tells the story, true story, of a guy called Daryl living out in LA who uh, was head of security for a California soundstage. And uh, Tom Petty and, and his band were uh, rehearsing to, uh, for, for this tour that they were going to do. And this guy was the head of security, but instead of looking after the guitars, he stole five of Tom Petty's guitars. Five of Tom Petty's guitars. Those guitars are worth at least $20,000 each, which right now is about a million rand each. No, I'm just kidding. It's, but it's getting closer to that. Um, it's about, it's about 250,000, 300,000 rand per guitar. And what happened is this guy didn't know the worth of these things. He, he didn't know, maybe he didn't know or he didn't care. And he walks into a pawn shop in LA and he sold those guitars for $250 each. And he thinks, wow, that was a, a great day's work. I, what he didn't know is what he sold was worth at least 80 times what he sold it for. 80 times. 
what he sold it for. This is what happens to us when we don't know the value of our inheritance and the birthright that God has for us. We will sell it for a bowl of soup. We will undervalue it and we will trade it out at far below what it is worth. Because it is worth eternal glory. It is worth the weight of God's, of God's calling on our lives. And then we trade it for some earthly pleasures. It's the same as, it's, it's worse than doing what this guy did, this Daryl did with the, Tom Petty's guitars. So the problem for us is not recognizing the value of what we have in our hands. And so what I'm praying for us as a church is that God would help us to recognize what he has given us and, uh, and, and, and not allow the devil to contain us. I'm going to end this morning with three ways the devil gets us to trade our inheritance. Three ways that the devil gets us to trade in our inheritance and to settle for something that is worth far less to, in order to minimize our effectiveness. Number one is what he does is he makes us believe that we have to earn it. He makes you, this is how he nullifies you. This is the defense. This is the low tackle. This is, this is Julian Sevilla being taken around the knees. This is your effectiveness not coming to, into, full, into, into full fruition. He makes you believe that it's not yours yet. You have to earn it first. I had coffee with somebody on Friday afternoon. Young guy who, who wants to walk in what God has called him to walk in, but he sits there and he says, I just feel like, I know you've told me about Jesus. I know you've told me about the gospel. I know you've told me about grace. I know you've told me that these things are already mine, but I just feel like I cannot completely commit to church or to you or to others or to doing anything that God has called me to do until I sort myself out first. I have to fix myself first and then I can help others. You, you're never gonna do it. You're gonna be fixing yourself for the rest of your life. I said to him, what I always say to people is that the problem with self-help is that you're always being helped by someone who needs help. You're never going to be able to fix yourself. But that's what the devil will say to you. Oh, before you can take your inheritance, you've got to fix yourself. You've got to be better. You've got to work harder. You've got to be more faithful. You've got to pray more. You've got to go to church more. You've got to, you, you've got to do more Christian things. You've got to read your Bible more, and then you can have your inheritance. No, it's yours now already. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that you have to earn it first. Imagine if somebody passed away and said, here's this inheritance, it's yours. But before you allow them to do the transfer into your bank account, you go, I first want to work for the rest of my life and then you can give me the money. It's silly. It's faithlessness. It's disobedience. God's given it to you. It's yours. But some people feel condemned. They feel like they're not freely... They're not truly free to walk boldly in what God has given to them. So let's look at these two scriptures. Titus 3 verse 7 says, So that being justified by His grace. How are we justified? How are we made right with God? How have we been forgiven? By His grace. We would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So now that we've been justified by faith, through faith by grace, we're heirs. It's by grace of God. Galatians 3.18 says, For if the inheritance is based on the law, 
In other words, the works that you do and how well you keep the law and how well you behave and how well you do things. If the inheritance is based on the law, it's no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. And the Bible says that if we are in Christ, we are Abraham's seed and his promise becomes our promise. In other words, what this scripture is saying is your inheritance in Christ is not based on what you can do. It's not based on your obedience to the law. Because if it was, then it wouldn't be according to a promise that God made to us. He made a promise. And it's according to that promise that we have an inheritance. So it needs to be settled in our hearts this morning that we cannot earn or achieve or be good enough to receive our inheritance. It simply comes by the grace of God. Some people just feel, I, I can't. I can't receive this freely. I have to pay for it. I have to spend my life working for it. One day I'll be good enough. One day I'll be good enough to serve Jesus. I'll be good enough to lead a connect group. I'll be good enough to be able to give to, to anchor. I'll be good enough to be able to help the poor. I'll be good enough to be able to, to, to reach out to others who don't know Jesus. And, and, and it's always one day, one day, one day. And what we do is we sabotage ourselves. Ourselves. Because we bought into the lie that we're not worthy of our calling. And so you trade in your inheritance for a bowl of soup, because you feel this is more befitting of me. Soup I can do. Riches, glorious riches of inheritance, ah, not worthy, but soup is good. Lentils, bread, that's more me. So that's the first thing the devil does, is that he makes you believe you have to earn it. The second thing he does is that he persuades you to sit on it, to just sit on it, to just, hey, okay, I've got this inheritance, great, thanks, Jesus. I'll just go about my daily life now. I'll just come to church and go, yes, that's great. I believe I have an inheritance, but never actually act on it. Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus tells a parable. And he says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who, is call, who uh, called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, this is actually Jesus talking about himself. He's saying, I'm going on a journey because he went into heaven and then later he was coming back. He says, there's like a man going on a journey and he calls his servants, that's us, and he entrusts to us his property, our inheritance. To one he gave five talents, and a talent, by the way, was a unit of measurement of money, and it basically meant 20 years worth of wages. 20 years worth of wages. So to one he gives uh, basically 100 years worth of wages. He says, this I'm entrusting to you. To another he gives... 40 years worth of wages. To another, one, 20 years. To each according to his ability, according to his plan and his purpose. God calls us for different things at different levels. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He doubled the money. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He has 20 years worth of wages. Just imagine you getting 20 years worth of your salary right now. Even though it was only one talent, it was still a lot. It, none of this is, is small. Nothing that God gives us is, is small or, or, or minimized. It's all grand and, 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 and more than what we could even ask or think. And this guy takes all of that money and he hides it in the ground. He just sits on it. I'm not going to do anything with this. 
I'm too afraid that I might mess it up. I might mess it up. I might not be faithful. I might, I might lose some of it. I might be carrying some of it around and trade some and, and the risk is too great. And let me say this directly to you this morning. Some of you have been doing that in your own life. Out of fear of failure, you've buried the things that God has put inside of you. You've buried it. And you're just sitting on it. Later on, the master returns and the others have all doubled their money. But this guy's just sat on his talent. And the master actually says, but you're unfaithful. Because at the very least, you could have put it in a bank and earned some interest. At the very least, you could have slowly uh, have in, just invested it. And so there is a way that we can be unfaithful with what God has placed in our hands. And this is how we do it. We do it when we use our abilities, our gifts, our resources, our money to serve ourselves. I'm going to just sit on it. I'm going to keep it for me. I'm just going to hold on to it. I, I saw a thing by Picasso yesterday and uh, where he wrote that the, the, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And I'm not equating that to Scripture, but what I'm saying, there's some truth in that, in that God has given us all a purpose, and we, we find that gift. What is the talent that God has given to you in your life? He doesn't want you to hold it on. Imagine if somebody like Picasso sat in a room and just painted and kept all of his paintings to himself. The, the purpose of life is that we give away what God has given us. We give it away. Your abilities, your talents, your time, your resources, whatever it may be, so that we can make a difference so that it can produce a, re a return, so that it can affect some change. I heard somebody say that the, the greatest buried treasure, if you're looking for buried treasure, all you need to do is go to your closest cemetery. Because in that cemetery, there are dreams and, 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 and plans and purposes and things that people had that they never fully walked in. Some of you, you have felt God calling you to take a step of faith, to start getting involved, to leaning in, to, to pursuing the purpose of God for your life. Don't die with it. Take the risk. Believe in your inheritance. Paul comes to the end of his life and, and he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. He didn't become complacent. He didn't sit on it. Keep the fire of your calling burning. Paul speaks to Timothy, a young guy, and he says, you need to stir up the gift that God has put inside of you. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 says, for this reason I remind you, listen to this, to fan into flame the gift of God. Every one of us has this gift of God like a flicker in your heart. And, and, and Paul says to Timothy, fan it into flame. This gift that is in you, which is in you through the laying on of, of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, don't be afraid, but of power and love and self-control. A sound mind. Don't be afraid of what God has put inside of you. Fan it into flame. Stir it up. Stir it up. See what God would do through your life. So that's number two. Is he, he persuades you to sit on it and to not act on it. 
And the Bible calls us to stir it up and to walk in it. And the last one this morning, number three, is that he tempts us to waste it. We waste our inheritance, as I said before, when we spend it on ourselves. We see this in, in Luke 15, this exact thing happens. It says, uh, speaking about this prodigal son, it says, and he said, it's, uh, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. The share of property that is coming to me. In other words, give me my half of my inheritance. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Later on, the older brother actually says he spent it on prostitutes. He takes his inheritance and he trades it for something temporal and he wastes it. God doesn't want us to waste what he has put inside of us by spending it, us spending it on ourselves. And even though that might not be what we set out to do, it's what many of us, if not all of us, end up doing to some measure. Is we trade what is eternal for what is temporal. But the good news this morning is, like in the story, whenever we do this, God calls us home. Right now, He's calling you to abandon some of that reckless living and, and some of that, that, that stuff that you have been focusing on for your own life. And He says, come, I have something more for you. Every single one of us, God is saying, I have more for you. I have more for you. The best is yet to come. There's some things you don't even know I'm going to do yet. There's some miracles you don't, you don't even know is going to happen yet through, in and through your life. There's some provision I'm going to give you you don't even know you're going to have yet. And this is true for us as a church. That God is saying, I've got a purpose for you. Don't spend it on yourselves, but begin to bless the city. I'm going to do stuff through your life. I'm calling you to more. I'm calling you to more. I'm calling you to take hold of your inheritance. God calls us home. His grace draws us because he wants us to fulfill every bit of the purpose that he has for us. Every bit of the purpose. The son comes home thinking, I've squandered my inheritance. It's gone. It's gone. That's how I would have thought. I already took half of what my father had and I blew it on selfish things. And we think, surely he doesn't have more. Surely I can only go back and be a servant now because I've wasted my inheritance. But 1 Peter 1 that we read said, it is undefiled, it is untouched, it is imperishable, and it is unfading. It doesn't fade. It's kept in heaven for you. And so when the son comes back, what does the father do? He puts a robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger. He gives him some sandals. He, he, he calls for a party. They kill a fattened calf. They're going to have a massive bride. They throw this, this big party, and he says, you're my son. Welcome home. Even when we've squandered our inheritance, God says, don't worry. Come home. I've still got, I've kept it for you. I've kept it for you. There's an inheritance that he doesn't want us to waste. God says to, to Joshua and to Israel, go into this land, walk in it. Wherever your foot treads, I have given it to you as an inheritance. The land is yours. And so how would we live differently if we knew the inheritance that God has for us? How would it change the way that we believe God, trust God, the way that we use our money, the way that we use our time, the way that we, 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 uh, we use every bit of ability that God has given us, our talents and our giftings. 
How would we use it differently if we knew our inheritance? I believe Romans 12 verse 1 to 2 gives us the answer. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You would become a living sacrifice. Somebody who is constantly living out sacrificially to God because you know the inheritance that you have. This is your holy, acceptable sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not swap your inheritance for some stew. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember who you are, remember whose you are, that you may prove what is the good, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That perfect will of God. Hey, don't swap the birthright for the stew. Walk in it and see how God will work out his, his perfect will in your life. How he'll lead us together on that journey. This morning, I want to encourage you, don't let the smell of stew keep you from walking in your calling. Keep you from taking a hold. Don't let, let a feeling of unworthiness and condemnation and shame keep you from taking a hold of what is yours. Don't let the devil convince you to sit on it and just kind of keep it to yourself. Oh, I'm not going to get involved. I don't want to make this public. I don't, want to, I don't want to lean in. I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to take any risks. And don't let him convince you to waste it. I'll spend this on myself. I'll use it for myself. I'll live for myself. But let's be daring. Let's take God at his word, like we said last week, with audacious faith. And let's take that leap. Let's, let's take that risk. Let's take that step. A brand new season for our lives. A brand new era, nothing, like nothing you've known before. Don't look at where you've come from and, and, and what's happened in the, and go, well, the rest of my future is going to go according to that. Forget what lies behind. Right now, today is a new day. Your life is a new life. And you can start to walk into things today according to inheritance that you never even dreamed possible yesterday. So let's take a hold of that and let's walk in our inheritance. Amen? Cool, let's pray together.